Hello, and welcome to Follow the Woo podcast, where each week I, Fenelon Kush, will guide you on a journey into the land of the woo. We're going to investigate witchcraft, meditations, the paranormal and supernatural, alien and fey encounters, gurus, shamanism, and, and, and all the woo. So hold on to your butt. This just might be the weirdest part of your day. Howdy, humans. This week, I am switching it up a bit. My guest, Teresa Beard, is a writer, educator, and new podcaster. She hosts Shit That Scares Me podcast, where she talks about all the scary things in this big, scary world. That includes our normal fare of ghosts and aliens, but it also includes domestic terrorists, student loans, etc., So it's all the scary things from all the different scary angles. We met on the interwebs and thought it would be fun to make lists of woo slash weird things that we've experienced and share them with each other. So that's what we did. In the first part of this conversation, we talk about the scariness of 9-11 and January 6th of this year of 2021. But then we roll right into the woo. We take turns talking about weird shit that's happened to us, which includes haunted houses, a very nosy ghost, past life memories, sleep paralysis, an on-point tarot reading, and more. I know many of you have been asking me to talk more about my personal woo experiences, so ask and you shall receive. I have loads of woo stories to tell, so there will be more episodes like this coming up in the future. Quick note for this episode. It's very, very important. Somewhere about an hour in, I use the word bajiggity, which if you know me, you know I use that word all the time. And I say that its origin is from the movie Clueless, but that is false. I got confused and forgot that it's actually from the movie The Sweetest Thing with Selma Blair, Cameron Diaz, and Christina Applegate. It totally does not pass the Bechtel test, but... It is really funny. It's one of those like guilty pleasure movies, but that is where the word bajiggity originally came from. Like I said, super important note. Also, I may be adding the second part of this chat with Teresa as a patron-only episode on Patreon, so keep an eye out for that. Speaking of, if you like Follow the Woo and you want to help support this podcast and get more content, the best way to do that is to become a patron. You go to patreon.com slash follow the woo. And when you sign up, you'll get an official Order of the Woo invitation sent to your home and access to a bunch of other witchy goodies. Always and forever, thank you so much for supporting me, my current patrons. You guys are truly the best. All right, let's get into all the spooky things with Teresa Beard. It's time to follow the woo. On your podcast, even though it's shit that scares you, it's not just paranormal, too. Yeah, yeah. It's like all the, the shit that scares me. Yeah. Because yeah. I did an episode about January 6th because that was probably the single most terrifying day that I can remember, like as an adult, probably since 9 11. It was like watching people try to actively destroy the country that I have grown up in and have a sort of, 
I don't want to say like a super positive connection to because I I am also a student of history and I know that America was built on the backs of First Nations and Black people and a lot of really horrible shit has happened in America. But at the same time, it's my country. And I've always tried to do what I can to make it a better place. So to see this huge group of people who are trying to reverse that, it was just like the most terrifying thing to me. Mm -hmm. And that's actually what inspired me to start the podcast. Like I'm a a creep and a love murders and ghosts and whatever anyways, but there are so many other things in this world that literally scare the crap out of me. And so I thought, why not talk about them and see if I can at least get some mental relief for myself and possibly also other people who are like, oh yeah, that's fucking scary. That scares me too. So yeah. Yeah. I love that because I think a lot of times we just sort of categorize fear as like, oh, look at these things that go bump in the night and American Horror Story-ish stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But I remember when my little brother, who's 16 years old, came into the living room. I was with my parents on January 6th and he was like, they're storming the Capitol. And I was, you know, typing on my computer like, yeah, what is that? What are you talking about? They're storming the Capitol. And I was like, you're full of shit. What are you talking about? And he's like, turn on the TV. And we turn on the TV and, of course, saw what everybody saw, which was a shit show is an understatement. And it was that moment, one of those moments that he'll remember forever, for sure, because he was Mm -hmm. was so poignant for him. But it did remind me of September 11th. It did remind me of that same kind of like, oh, boy. Yeah, it was that same kind of immediate disbelief. You're so full of shit. That's not happening. That's not a thing that happens in America. I remember I was a freshman in college for 9-11 and I remember being in class and somebody coming, running into the class saying, oh, their planes crashed into the World Trade Center and the rest of us being like, bullshit. And it was before smartphones, so we couldn't check. And it wasn't until they started making announcements that they were shutting the school down and sending everybody home that I was, oh, this happened. What is happening? Mm-hmm. It was yeah. that same feeling for me. Yeah, I was in high school and it was one of those times where it was just like everybody stopped and all the TVs turned on in every classroom and we were just yeah. like, what is happening? And when you're yeah. that young, I, I really felt for my brother because it was like that moment where he was, oh, life isn't exactly how I thought it was. Yeah. And I mean, of course, there's going to be lots more experiences that he'll have in his life. Lucky him, you know, lucky all of us, right? Like we will all experience things like that, that are really, that really shake you up, that make you rethink maybe how you live your life and what you've been fighting for, what you haven't been fighting for, however you want to think about it. Yeah. What you should be fighting for, maybe. Should. Yeah. Right. You know, things that you take for granted. I am a a white woman, straight passing white woman, and I have a lot of privilege. And there have been a lot of events that have made me go, oh, I never thought about the world in a way that incorporates what is happening right now because I've never needed to. Mm -hmm. And acknowledging that I have this privilege and realizing that everybody does and trying to work for some kind of equity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, 
all of that shit scares me, scares you. <laughs> but we we had decided in our preliminary interview that we were going to talk about the woo things that scare us. Yes. Which is so exciting because I haven't done this yet. I've been really sticking with the interview format, mostly because I just have so many people who want to be interviewed. So I'm just like, I just kept going with it. You know, you kind of get into a routine, but I've been dying to to switch it up, to do some more stories, do some investigations, like live investigations. Oh, yeah. On site and then record it or something like that. So this is this is exciting to not be like, oh, obviously, you're still going to be asking each other questions, but it's exciting to kind of switch it up. So many woo experiences. And I never thought about them in terms of being woo. They were just sort of like, oh, that happened. Okay. Do, do, do. <laughs> yeah. Like never, never in my life was I like, oh, I'm going to categorize this as being a woo experience. Yeah. I don't even know what I would have called these things because I just sort of decided in the last year or so that I wanted to reclaim hardcore the word. <laughs> I was like, I'm taking it, bitches. <laughs> but I think I probably would have called it just like weird, the weird, the high strangeness, I guess paranormal, but I wasn't even really using paranormal a lot. I was just like, dude, that was fucking weird. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Always. That's fucking weird. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's start with you. If you want, we can just kind of swap stories. Yeah, that'd be and great. I feel like what I did, I'll just let you know, to prepare for this, I called my mom. I called my best <laughs> friend. I was like, can you, because I don't have the best memory. Full disclosure. <laughs> and so I was like, well, let me just double check and make sure I kind of have a timeline for the weird shit that happened. And of course, I was right. They reminded me of stuff that I had totally forgotten about or I had yeah, swept under the rug. So I kind of put mine a little bit in like the order that they happened. So did I. Oh, good. What's your, what's your <laughs> sign again? Leo. Yeah. Okay. So we got a Leo and a Capricorn here. That's right. You're from a family of Leos. You said, I right? am. Yes. Women Leos, not men Leos, just women Leos. I have to say I prefer women in general, but also, <laughs> <laughs> but also Leo in the Leo department. I generally prefer the female Leo. I feel like there's something really special about us and I'm biased because the women that I love most in the world are all Leos. Exactly. However. <laughs> I was just going to say. <laughs> and I have never had like my full birth chart done still. Like it's, it's a thing that I've been meaning to do for like a decade. But I find it really interesting from a historical perspective because some of the most revered advisors to like European royalty during the Renaissance and during... Uh, the Middle Ages were astrologers. Mm -hmm. An astrologer told Queen Elizabeth I, yes, go do the Spanish Armada thing, even though you're outgunned and outmanned and and the, you know, going to the new world and whatever, were some really major decisions that she relied on astrologers to help her make. I didn't know that, but I Oh yeah. It. Yeah. I forget the dude's name, but he was like one of her main advisors, which is also funny because it was the 16th century and they still burned witches. Astrology is probably not kosher, but they all listen to astrologers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a mess. 
Well, let's start with yours, your first, since we did chronological. Each one is different, you know, like some of mine, I'm like, I don't feel like I need to talk about that one too long. So you yeah. just, you do whatever you want to do and then just pass it back to me when it's, okay. when it's my turn. Cool. So the first one that I wanted to talk about actually is a place. When I was growing up, my paternal grandmother owned a big farm in the mountains of Western Tennessee in a place called Jonesboro. That's like this adorable historical little town. And the farmhouse she bought was built in the 18th century. And she had a ton of land. And before I was born, she had animals and stuff. By the time I came along, they were all gone. And a couple years before I was born, the house was struck by lightning and burned to the ground, which is kind of weird, but not totally out of the realm of possibility. So they rebuilt like a replica of the old farmhouse on the foundation and went about their merry lives. And three years later, it was struck by lightning and burned to the ground again. What? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which is fucking weird. <laughs> But again, not totally impossible. But my grandma, in her infinite wisdom, was like, let's move the house off of that foundation and see what happens. <laughs> yeah, no lightning after that. But she built this really adorable log cabin. When I was eight or nine, she made all these changes to it and built these additions. She had a library and a huge, beautiful master suite. And it was just an absolutely gorgeous house. But it was really cool because she incorporated the original log cabin into the design. So I can remember sitting in the kitchen during family gatherings and she had like a big breakfast bar and there were five or six stools around the breakfast bar. And it was like this beautiful tile and basically the whole family could sit in the kitchen. And off to the right, you could see partway up the stairs to a little landing where she had a big, beautiful stained glass window. I remember sitting on one of those stools and seeing a man standing on the landing. And he was a tall, relatively thin man brown pants, light gray shirt. And he would just stand there. He didn't do anything. He didn't say anything. He just watched us. And he was there all the time. And I asked my grandmother once if she saw this man. And she told me that she did. And she told me that she thought he was a farmer or somebody who had lived on the land and he was just there to check it out and make sure she was taking good care of it. Other people, like when my cousins were born, when they were toddlers, they would see this man, but most of my family did not see anything. So he just like chilled on the landing and it freaked me out because the guest rooms were upstairs and I had to walk past him to get up the stairs. But if I was looking straight on, I could never see him. It's just like your peripheral. At first, I was convinced that I was seeing things, but my grandma was like, no, 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 he, there's a dude there. Confirmed. <laughs> <laughs> and then other places in her house were super creepy. She had in her library some tribal masks that she had gotten when she worked in Africa with Jane Goodall for a few years Wow, in the early 80s. And so she had all of these ritual tribal masks in her library. And in that room, I always felt like I was being watched like a 
hair on the back of your neck standing up sort of anxiety that someone was there and something bad was going to happen. I never saw anything and I never found the masks alone, particularly creepy, but there was just something in that room that didn't like when people would hang out in there, which is unfortunate because the whole point of having a library is so people can hang out in there. So Mm -hmm. the atmosphere was super uncomfortable. It was extra weird because the library was open to the living room and then open to my grandma's bathroom and her master suite. Like you would have to go through the library to get there. So it was like, it wasn't closed off. It didn't feel claustrophobic or anything. It was just weird. If I was asleep at night and now the rest of the house was quiet, I'd be up in my room and I would hear somebody walking around in the loft and she would use the loft as storage. That's like where she kept her loom. My grandma was like an old hippie, had a loom in her house, kind of old <laughs> hippie, like one of those big, big looms. But it was in the loft with a piano and some other musical instruments and just some detritus of people's lives. And I would hear somebody walking around in there all the time. Never saw anybody. It had a different sound than like a house settling. You could distinctly hear shoes on floor. And that that was like my whole childhood. Now, this is your grandmother's house, right? Yes. My dad and his siblings didn't grow up in the cabin because the house they grew up in burned down from the lightning. But it's like the same property where my dad and his siblings were children. Now, is that house still there? The house is still there. My grandmother sold it like 10 or so years ago. I don't know anything about the new owners. Interesting. Yeah. I wonder if they see the man. I don't know. I hope so. The area where the house is when she sold was starting to become really developed and they were selling off a lot of the farmland, like her neighbors to developers so that they could put McMansions there, I really hope that the people didn't end up selling. When was your first sighting? How old do you think you were? Oh, seven. That's early. Yeah. It has stayed with me because it was unsettling, but not scary. Mm-hmm. I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. I always had an idea that the things that I was seeing, I was not supposed to be seeing, but I never doubted that I was seeing them. I think that's the beauty of seeing stuff like that when you're a kid, because you don't have all of the like conditioning from the adults. Yeah. It hasn't seeped into your brain. So you're just kind of like, well, I know I'm seeing that, you know, I don't really know how to process it, but I'm not questioning. They say that that's why kids are more susceptible to seeing stuff Mm -hmm. because they haven't been taught the laws of physics as we perceive them. Your turn. What about you? Oh, she's passing the baton. (laughs) Yeah. My mom confirmed on the phone the other day that I was about six, seven. So about the same age as you. Mm -hmm. I think I started earlier than that, but I started to get really, really adamant about telling her about these people that I used to live with. And I was like, all these details. What I can remember now at 35 is that there was this blue round toy box that had stars and moons on it. It was unlike any toy box I had ever seen, but that's the thing that stayed with me. My mom actually remembered some other stuff, but I guess it was like these 
older people and they were taking care of me and I had my own room and I was just going on and on. I was like, mom, remember like who, where are they? Can I see them again? And mom was like, uh, WTF. Those people aren't in this. I mean, cool, cool mom. She was like, those people aren't in this lifetime. I don't think. And I was like, no, I was just with them relatively recently. And this is what their faces looked like. And this is this. And I just went on and on. And I got really frustrated with my mom because I was like, mom, stop messing around. I know you know who they are. When will I be able to see them again? I mean, she was just adamant about it over and over again. She sort of reiterated that, honey, peaches, poodle, you know, <laughs> that those people don't aren't here. And she even just to to sort of, I guess, settle my mind some. She even asked, you know, my nana and other people, you know, do you remember anybody kind of and everybody was like, what is she talking about? You know, <laughs> And my mom comes from a very like staunch Baptist family. So I'm sure yeah. she didn't tell them a lot of details about my my past life memory, which it wasn't a dream. I remembered these people and I was so adamant about it. And I was so excited to to go and see them again. And it just wasn't possible. And that was the first time that my mom was like, okay, so she's going to be a different one. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. Have you ever had like a past life regression or anything done to see like if those people are in your past lives, like legit, like for real, for real? You know, what's funny. I've done a past life retrieval and then a past life regression. And both of those experiences were extremely emotional and intense. Like, mm. I don't know. Have you ever done one of those? No, not yet. I totally recommend it, but just emotionally prepare yourself, like do it on a weekend. So you have mm -hmm. a day because it really, it shakes things up, but nothing ever came up about those two. It was, it was different lives that I had. And, and they were, like I said, I mean, they were, they totally rocked me to my core. I mean, I think I sobbed through almost all of my regression, Yeah, but they haven't come up yet. I don't know if it's like way, way back. It feels like it shouldn't be though. It feels like it was the life right before this one, right? Yeah. When did kids start having toy boxes? Like it could not have been that long ago. Good point. Yeah. Good point. And I wish that I remembered more because like you said earlier, I think kids sort of, not only are they comfortable, more comfortable with believing what they're seeing, but mm -hmm. they also have the ability to retain things better than adults can. Yeah. And my, I just remember that my memory was so crisp and that I could see the lines in their faces and how sweet they were to me. But now I got nothing. I just got that fucking toy box, you know? <laughs> and the Wow. Yeah. And that toy box is like you said, how, how long ago could that be? And, and like I said, there's no toy box I've ever seen like that. It was rounded. And I don't even know if the original purpose of the thing was a toy box. Maybe that's just where I kept my toys. Yeah. You know, it was just loopy though. I wonder if it's like a between lives thing. Ooh, explain further. So I read this book a long time ago called Many Lives, Many Masters. Love that book. And it got me thinking about in between places. Okay, you finish a life, you're slated for another one. Where do you go in the meantime? Mm -hmm. And when I first read this book, I always imagined it was like a playroom 
or like a space where you hang out and you kind of the children's area in a doctor's waiting room, but like fun and not sad. (laughs) (laughs) And that's what I always imagined that it, it was like. That's interesting because I've not heard that before. I've read that book and I know that one of the cool takeaways from it, for me at least, was that he had actually found after interviewing Brian Weiss, right? Is that it? He, after he had done so many interviews in his hypnosis therapy, he realized that people were going to this place that was seemingly very similar. It was like this reprieve between lives. Yeah. I always say, at what point is that much anecdotal evidence, not real evidence, people like, come on. Yeah. But I never, I don't remember him going into detail about what that looked like. And maybe there are certain themes you can choose, you know, like... The, yeah, the doctor's office playroom. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, but it makes sense because I loved every minute of being there. I, most of the time, when you think of a past life, you think of some of the negative stuff and the positive mm-hmm. stuff. And with them, it was just pure. I was just chilling with them, and they yeah. it was all happiness. So, could be. I never never thought of it that way, though. That would be my question. Was okay, this didn't come up in any of the past life work that I've done. It feels like it was recent. Maybe they were the waiting room staff (laughs) (laughs) between your past life and this one. I love that concept. I think that's a really cool concept that you sort of go to a waiting room, but it's, you know, it's obviously the coolest waiting room you've ever been to. Right, right. The funnest waiting room with the nicest people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, back to you, Bob. (laughs) Your turn. Okay. All right. So let me preface this by saying I've always had a penchant for haunted houses. Every like cheesy horror movie that I watch is about a haunted house. It drives my fiance bananas. He's like, don't you want to watch monsters? No, bitch. Haunted house. So I don't I love them. But This house I'm going to talk about is like my ancestral home. I grew up in a city in Western New York called Rochester. It's an amazing city. I'm not even biased. It's just the fucking best. So my family has lived in this city for nine, 10 generations. We have very, very deep roots in this city. And in the 1840s, My great, great, et cetera, (laughs) uncle bought a house. It was just a little four-room farmhouse, but he was a doctor and he was building up his practice and making money. So over time, the house grew. And then in the 1860s, I think it was 1864, he traveled from New York to South Carolina to retrieve the body of his son who had died in battle because there has to be a Confederate ghost in every haunted house story. Mm -hmm. But he went to retrieve his son's body and he saw all of this beautiful antebellum Greek revival architecture and decided that's what he wanted his house to look like. So he came back to New York and he built this massive white antebellum house with big columns and the whole nine. And that was in my family until the 1930s. At that point, the family lost all of its money because who didn't lose all their money in the depression? And the house was sold. 
in the 1980s, it was purchased by a lovely woman who my now great uncle befriended, and she let us tramp through the house basically anytime we wanted. She would give us tours. She would tell us about like improvements they were making. It was super cool. So the whole family, the contemporary family, got to see like where many generations of our family lived and died because it was a Victorian house. They had this tiny little room off of like the main family room parlor area. It was like big enough for a bed and a little like dressing table. They called it the birthing and dying room. Oh dear. This was a Victorian thing all over the place. It was like a room where you put somebody who was having a baby or dying so that they could be near the rest of the family. So many life cycles happened in that room, especially because my ancestor was a doctor. So sick people were in and out of there all the time. We found out that one of the doctor's children, his youngest daughter, died when she was 12 on the stairs. She had her appendix burst, I believe is what they determined on the stairs. And he wasn't home. He was attending a patient somewhere else. Oh, what are the chances? And she died before he could get home. So the woman who bought the house, who befriended my uncle and gave us tours would tell us that a few times a week in the middle of the night, they would hear what sounded like somebody falling down the stairs. She also told us that the night they moved in, which was early 80s, they were sitting around on the floor, eating pizza, listening to records. And one song on the record they were listening to kept repeating itself over and over and over, which, okay, fine. The record player is malfunctioning. It's not that big of a deal. She said that she put on different records and it wouldn't happen. It only happened with that one record, which is a little weird. It was like an old timey jazz record. She said that it only ever happened with that one record and it happened with multiple copies of that record. That's weird. Because that was my first thought. Like, okay, something in the record is scratched. It's not, no, multiple copies of said record. She tried over the years and it only happened with that one. She also told us that people, they would get knocks on the door and nobody would be there in a normal neighborhood. Okay, kids are playing ding dong ditch, but this house doesn't have neighbors for like a half mile. And it's set so far back off the road that somebody would need to like drive down the driveway to come and ring the doorbell. Nobody there. So this lady would tell us all these stories and I thought they were super cool, but I was like probably 11 or 12. Okay. The first time I went to this house. But I like was like, okay, it's not actually true. But as we were going through the tour, I was with um, my mom, my sister, my grandmother. There was eight or nine of us. I felt somebody yanking on my shirt, on the back of my shirt. And I thought it was my cousin. And I turned around and there was nobody there. My cousin was actually in a totally different part of the house because it felt like a little kid yanking on your shirt to get your attention. Nobody there. Nothing to snag my clothes on. We were going down a hallway. I wasn't near any doors because I I remember being like, that didn't happen. I must have caught my shirt on something. Nope. 
It's one of the creepiest things. And then we got to the part of the house that was supposedly the family matriarch's bedroom as she got older. And it was frigid in there. We were at this house in the middle of July in Western New York. It's hot as balls. (laughs) They did not have air conditioning, but this room was like probably 15 degrees colder than the rest of the house. When you've been walking through an 85 degree house and all of a sudden you walk into one room and there's that much difference. Like you can tell it was fucking cold. (laughs) That's crazy. And so common with paranormal events, right? Yeah. The owner of the house said that that was common for that room. She'd go in there to make the bed or clean up after guests or whatever, and it would be frigid. She said that she would say, it's okay, Caroline. I'm just here to make the bed. Then I'm leaving again. Caroline was the wife of the doctor who originally built the house. You know, it would warm up a little and then she would leave and go about her day. How did she put together that Caroline might have been the one in the room? There was a day when my uncle, his name is Jack. He's the family historian and he's the one who reached out to this woman in the first place. And they had a very unlikely friendship, but he was in her house one day. They were having coffee and they were discussing the fact that Caroline did not have a headstone. The family has a burial plot in one of the local cemeteries where There's like 50 people (laughs) buried. It's been there for so many generations. But my Uncle Jack did not feel right about the fact that Caroline did not have a headstone. And he was talking about like putting together a collection with the family to like buy her a nice stone and whatever, blah, blah, blah. And he doesn't believe in the paranormal or really anything woo. But he said that as he's having this conversation It felt like somebody reached into his chest and grabbed his heart and he like blacked out for a minute. He was just frozen. He said it was the most terrifying thing. And he got the impression that that was Caroline's way of telling him that she did not want a headstone. Why? I don't know. Stories that I've heard about her. She kind of liked to be incognito. One of her favorite activities was to sit on the phone. It was like back when like an entire neighborhood would share a phone line. Mm -hmm. She would sit in her rocking chair on the phone with like a cloth over the mouthpiece so that she could listen to her neighbors and listen to their conversations. Oh, wow. She was a creep. (laughs) She was a nosy neighbor. (laughs) Yeah, totally nosy. But she always liked to be incognito. So... That gave Jack the idea that it was Caroline's spirit and she still doesn't have a headstone. Nobody made the mistake of putting a headstone there. Yeah, that feels like the wrong thing to do. Right, right. (laughs) So the owner of the house kind of translated that to, okay, well, this was Caroline's room. This was her space. It's probably Caroline. Mm. Because she also is a very strong personality, just like all the women in my family. Very opinionated, very... I don't want to say territorial, but like she wanted you to back up off of her shit. Don't touch my shit. So Caroline 
with yeah. like nobody to know about her for right. eternity. <laughs> right. Exactly. She just wants to eavesdrop on your conversations. That's all she wants out of life. Just give her what she life. wants. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, that owner died a few years ago and the family didn't have the $2 million that the house and the land was worth. So it was sold to a local grocery store. Will they allow you or anybody from the outside to visit, especially you no. because your family? No, no, uh, we tried. <laughs> they were like, yeah, we, we know the history of the house. That's that's cool and stuff. But these are like corporate offices, like there's confidential information here. And so I hope Caroline is tormenting them. I really do. <laughs> I hear <laughs> here or Caroline might be like basically getting a bunch of high level confidential information and loving her life right now <laughs> loving her afterlife yeah, yeah living her, her best afterlife <laughs> living her best afterlife <laughs> that's great yeah it's so funny that your family lives in lancaster right before covid within days of everything shutting down for covid i went to lancaster because i had never been there i was like i want to go on a trip where should i go and i just closed my eyes and pointed to a place on a map. And I ended up, uh, I was actually in bird in hand. That's a good one, huh? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Bird in uh, hand PA. Bird in hand PA. But it's also near all these places with really sexual names. <laughs> mm-hmm. Intercourse. Intercourse. Yes. I have a shot glass that says I heart intercourse. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's like blue ball or something yeah. like that. Yeah. And there's blue ball conception, too. I think. Yeah. And I yeah. was like, the fuck are these Amish people doing with their time? Obviously, just <laughs> intercourse for days. <laughs> There's a parking lot, quote unquote, for the horse and buggy for Amish people at many of the like Target, things like that in Lancaster, Pennsylvania and surrounding Shut areas. Up. Yeah. And so there's some Lancaster is really interesting because the city, you know, it's a tiny city, but it's still yeah. still a cute little city. It's really progressive, but everything around that is is kind mm-hmm. of red. But yeah. um, it's really progressive. And there's a ton of Quakers and Amish people all there. And there's a lot of theories about that energy creating this like pacifist, high vibrational kind of frequency. Oh, in yeah. that area. I've always been interested in kind of investigating that more and hearing what other people's theories are about that. That is so cool. I love Quakers. Love them. I am not a big proponent of organized religion, but I have been to Quaker meeting a few times and it's so interesting and peaceful and it's sort of like what I always wanted church to be Mm -hmm. but growing up my family is very devout Christians like not quite Jehovah's Witnesses but like they are into like the revivals and, and the whole nine yards but like Quaker meeting is just like what I always hoped I would feel in church. Mm-hmm. And because they also they're Christian but more interested in like an unnamed divine than what we think of as God in a Judeo-Christian sense. Totally. So like I love it. If you ever have a chance to go to meeting, go. It's amazing. Agreed. I think the Quakers are cool. On to you. Batana's past. Yes. That was a good one. 
but the feeling of being in this house is not just like, oh, it's creepy, but also like my family started here. Mm-hmm. It's a generational sort of weight that I felt in that house. If my my uncle Jack wasn't such a huge nerd, we wouldn't have that. But he spent decades of his life researching the family and like traveling to England and France and tracking down all of these people. And it was before the internet. He had to like read books and make phone calls. Ew. Yeah. Who wants remember? to do that? Yeah, do you remember that? <laughs> no. Can I, just, can I just do 23 and me and find my whole family? Like what? Exactly. Well, so there's a couple of woo experiences that happened after the past memory situation, but I kind of want to skip them because I think I'm going to do a full episode about the one, which okay. also has to do with a house, an old house. So we'll put a pin in that one for the listeners. Skipping a couple, the next really intense, and this was one of the most intense experiences I've ever had in my life. Most mind-blowing shit your pants moment. I was about 16, I think. I lived in a townhouse with my mom. She was single at that time, or like maybe she just started dating someone, but like it was just the two of us. Mm -hmm. And... I was a crazy teenager. I was a partier. I am an empath. And so I was always picking up everybody's stuff. So by the time mm-hmm. I got to middle school, I was already trying drugs, drinking because I was yep. trying to shut everything out, you know, yep. just to give you kind of a background of what was happening with me at that time. I can't remember if there was anything particularly special about this night. Like if the moon was full or, you know, like, I don't know if it was near a solstice or some shit. But I was in bed, I was asleep, and all of a sudden, I woke up, and it must have been, I'm guessing, like two-ish in the morning, somewhere around that, that middle ambrosial time. And when I woke up, I was unable to move. So I was in sleep paralysis, but I was fully awake. And I had never been in sleep paralysis in in this lifetime that I could remember, at least. Mm -hmm. And have you ever had that? No, thank God, because I would probably literally shit myself. So for real, it's one of the most disconcerting experiences. Like it just it's it's so there's nothing you can do. You can't get out of it. So I was awake. I'm, I'm lying there in bed. And all of a sudden, I'm like pulled out of my body. I think because I was resisting, I was popping back and forth. Mm-hmm. So I was kind of like back in my body. And then I was like outside of my body. And then I was out because I was hyperventilating in some area of my, my being. Like I was like the fuck, like get me out <laughs> of this corpse pose. Like I can't move my hands. I couldn't open my eyes. That's the worst feeling. Yeah. You, you want to open your eyes, you know, you're awake and you cannot. So I was like, fuck this. And finally the, the being, whatever, whatever it was, I did not see the being. I just heard it just in the sweetest, nicest voice saying, it's okay. Don't be afraid. It's okay. Like it's all right. And I was just not having it. I was too, probably too young. I was just like, wait, I don't have control. But also there is someone talking to you. You don't know in your bedroom. Like (laughs) exactly. Thank you. (laughs) 
Okay, so, I don't I don't give a fuck what it's saying. You're going to be fucking terrified. Exactly. So this being somehow took me took a version of myself, I guess maybe an astral uh, version of myself to my my high school. Because, I mean, obviously I was in high school at the time and high school is such a fucking mess, right? Nightmare. Nightmare for everyone. No matter where you are on the spectrum of popular to not popular or whatever, it's still a nightmare. And so I was like, why are we here? And he started, I'm saying he right now. I've never called it a he or she, I don't think. But maybe I felt it was more masculine. I was floating above close to the ceiling and being like, shown the hallways of the school and he was saying everything is okay just let go you can do whatever you want to do you have all the power inside of you I'm not sure now what the like relevance of going to my high school was maybe it's because that's where I felt the least empowered yeah and he was kind of like look you can fucking fly you can do whatever you want and I wasn't having it. <laughs> he was trying to be so sweet and so gentle. And I was just, you know, in literal bed. I mean, like tossing and turning, trying to get my body to wake up. And at a certain point, I guess there was too much friction between. I was generating too much tension. And mm-hmm. so I think he gave up a little bit. And when he did, I kind of came back into my body, but I was still unable to open my eyes. And the blinds in my room, I could hear them go, like, you know, kind of going <gasps> like that, you know, no. how they, oh yeah, my you, God. yes, I, the, yeah, I know the noise. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like when it kind of, and you know, somebody's fucking with them. Yeah. And so of course, again, I can't, still can't move. And I used to sleep with music on at night. And so it was just like something that soothed me and the volume of the music turned <gasps> really high. Oh my God. Yeah, I I was, I'm telling you, pooping pants is like on the agenda. So, so eventually at some point, I think he finally gave up or it or they gave up and I was able to open my eyes. When I opened my eyes, the blinds dropped (gasps) and there was a, a, like a light that had been coming through and that kind of went off, went away as well. And then the music was still up loud though. Like, and I would never have my music up that loud. Because how are you supposed to sleep? Yeah. You can't sleep with like, you know, heavy metal. It wasn't heavy metal. It's probably some like classical shit, but (laughs) Celine Dion. Yeah. Oh, hell yeah. (laughs) I love Celine Dion. (laughs) You're speaking my language. (laughs) That's my karaoke go-to. I wake up, of course, I'm drenched in sweat. Strangely, my bed is a mess. My comforter is like all over the place. And I'm just, I I have clearly been struggling. Yeah. And I turn down the radio barely. I'm like shaking. I don't even get the radio down, go to mom. That's all I can think. Right. Cause the radio is freaking me out. And I think it's going to, I'm going to wake mom up anyways, but it's going to like possibly wake up neighbors because we were in a townhouse. Right. You know, we were right next to a bunch of other sharing a wall. Yeah, exactly. So I run in, I'm like shaking my mom awake. And you know, you're 16, you feel kind of dumb. Like, (laughs) (laughs) mommy, save me. Yeah. And I legitimately, I'm sobbing. And I told her, and she's like, what is wrong? What is wrong? And she just says, okay, again, cool mom points. She goes, 
okay, you had an out-of-body experience. This sometimes happens. And I was like, well, have you ever had one? You know, like (laughs) she's barely able to talk. And she must have stayed up with me for like an hour just trying to like get me to catch my breath. Yeah. And then I slept with my mother that night, you know, like I legitimately as a teenager who thought she was like so cool, you know, because we all have these exteriors in high school. And I was just like this tiny baby, like cuddling my mother all night because something came and visited me and I don't know what the fuck it was. Wow. Yeah. Okay. We need to talk about your mom, though, because... (laughs) Holy fuck. If okay, I'm just imagining my mom. My mom who is amazing in a crisis, but she would have been so worried about me that it made her angry. Some parents do this. You know, you wander off at the mall and you get lost and she's so worried about you that she's angry at you. Mm-hmm. That would have been my mom. And I'm just like the kind of mom who's like it's okay. You're just having an out-of-body experience. (laughs) Holy shit. (laughs) My mom is a fascinating character, but one thing that she always told me when I got to a certain age and I started to get really into the woo, she she had a memory of us prior to this life. Wow. She she was like, I told you that my life was going to be really hard because the beginning of her life was very hard. And so Mm -hmm. the beginning of my life was then very difficult and tumultuous. And so she was like, I don't really think you want this life. And I, she told me I persisted and I was like, I really do want, I want to learn the lessons that I'm going to learn with you. And so this is a super far-fetched like idea for a lot of people, but I think I know another huge camp of people who do believe that to a certain extent, you have some choices available to you prior to coming into a new life. And so I just kind of always thought, well, I picked this woo mom so that I could be able to develop without somebody like without without a parent judging me for mm-hmm. the experiences that I was having. Yeah. Yeah, so who knows if that's true, but you know, it's something that that feels true to the both of us. I've also read that there are people who believe that group, groups of souls reincarnate together. Mm-hmm. So you end up meeting people in this life that were really important to you in previous lives and like your previous life, it could be a romantic partner. And in this life, it's a sibling or whatever, but like these same souls are reincarnating in your orbit. And I, I love that thought that is hugely comforting to me. Same. Yeah. I just think it's nice to know that there's always going to be, if you're open to it, there's, you're always going to be sort of magnetized to those people that you you've known for longer than you can probably even imagine. Back to you, Bob. Your turn. (laughs) Okay. I want to talk about my first tarot reading and my not really Aunt Liz, but my Aunt Liz. This woman named Liz was a family friend. I knew her my entire life. We grew up with her kids. So for all intents and purposes, she was my aunt. She was the most incredible woman. And she worked at Xerox, which was a big company in Rochester, the people who make the copiers. She worked there for 20 odd years and she got into her fifties and she realized that she didn't find it enjoyable or fulfilling. So she quit and she became a life coach and 
an ordained spiritualist minister. Mm. She was really into the like officially official spiritualist church, which I didn't know even existed still until she told me that she was really, really into it. So she did that for a few years and she got to spend a lot of time with her grandkids when they were babies. And then one day we had gone to a baby shower for another one of the the social group's kids. And myself, my, my stepdad, and my little sister, I say little sister, but she's only two years younger than I am. We went and had drinks with Liz after the baby shower. And it was a totally normal day, talking, laughing, enjoying spending time with her. And that night she went to bed and she didn't wake up. What? Yeah. She was in her early 50s, healthy, exercised, just died suddenly. And it was absolutely fucking devastating. Like, I honestly, I'm still not over it. Like, I remember going to her funeral at the spiritualist church and it was like standing room only. That place was packed to the rafters on multiple floors because this woman was so beloved and so connected to her community. Just everybody loved her. But this was like 2012, so almost 10 years ago now. A couple of years later, I was going through a horrendous breakup, like the kind of breakup that makes you a different person. And I was looking for some answers. I was like, not having a good time with my career. I was in my early 30s and living with my parents. I just needed some direction and needed some help. And I found out that the spiritualist church where Liz was a member was having a psychic fair. And I thought it was really cheesy. I had never been to a psychic fair, but I decided to go. And I signed up for a tarot reading and they kind of assigned me to a reader, whoever was available. And I don't remember this woman's name, but I sat down and I didn't tell her anything about me. I gave her my name, of course, but I had heard plenty about cold reading and I didn't want to give her any information that she could then pretend to know about me. So like I gave her my name and told her I just wanted a a reading about like life in general. And I wasn't really super engaged because I was like, this is bullshit. This is absolute bullshit. When she stopped me and she said, there's someone here who wants to tell you that you're doing better than you think you are. And she is paying attention And she's still looking out for you. And if you ever need to to talk, all you have to do is is talk to her. And I was like, yeah, whatever. But she described Liz, her age, her hair. She was particularly tall. So it's not like this reader could be like, oh, average height, brown hair, whatever. Liz was really tall and she had like, distinctive moles on her face. And this woman described her perfectly and described her intentions and described her vibe perfectly. So I was like, okay, I am listening. I'm listening. Mm -hmm. 
She then goes through the reading and she's telling me like this breakup is horrible, but it's not the end of the world, which everybody should have said that to me. I was totally like way overboard with this whole thing. But she then told me that in three to six months, I would meet someone new. It would be a guy. He would be tall, a Libra or a Gemini, light hair and light eyes. And I was like, sure. She was like, he's also going to be younger than you. And at first you're going to like have a problem with it, but just ignore it. It'll be fine. And I was like, okay. And this mostly described the person that I had just broken up with, but he's not tall. So I was like, all right, whatever. Four and a half months later, I met my fiance who is nine years younger than I am. He's six foot two with dirty blonde hair and green eyes. And he's a Libra. Dang. I don't know how she did this. Yeah. That's the thing, right? Like you just don't know how, 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 how. Yeah. And, and I remember when Dan and I first met, I was like, oh my God, he's just a baby. He had just, he had like just turned 26 and I was looking at 35 and I was like, oh, he's so young. He's so young. But I remembered what she had said. And here we are almost five years later engaged. Wow. Yeah. That reminds me of practical magic, you know, when she's yeah. like, you'll have this, I don't remember, was it like blue eyes and dark hair and da 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 da. And then the guy comes, you know, however many decades later or whatever. It it was it was uncanny. And I have never been able to like find this lady again. There are a couple of like magic shops and tarot places in Rochester that I, I looked for her, but I, I couldn't remember her name. She didn't give me a card, but I wish that I could find her because that was the most intense reading I have had. I've had a few others. I try not to be the kind of person who like buys into stuff like that immediately. Mm-hmm. But as soon as she described Liz, I was like, this lady has to be legit. Either that or she knows who I am, which is like Liz and I don't have the same last name. I ne- never went to the church with her. So that would be really odd. Not impossible, but odd. Freaky. Super freaky. And and really curious that you could not find her again. And you still can't. Was she even quote unquote real, you know, was she just sort of like an astral imprint? Was it just Liz, you know, sort of saying, Hey, I don't have the power. Can you, can we work together and just give her a little bit of an, a pat on the butt? So she's not so yeah, whatever, but jiggity at that time. Yeah. I, I was, I was for sure. But jiggity. <laughs> yeah. That, I mean, I use that term all the time because I think it's the perfect term for a mess. Yeah. Know? But you get yeah. like, it's like an emotional word. I know it's so like dumb that it's from clueless, but it's just the best <laughs> word. <laughs> it's also the best movie. So let's 
Respect. Right. Respect the clueless. At that point in my life, it was like the huge mess that you are before you enter into a transitional phase. The pre-mess. Yeah. Because transitions can be super messy, but they're never, for me anyways, as messy as like the pre-transition. Mm-hmm. Agreed. I think that for me, at least, I think that's because there's a fair amount of resistance in the pre-transition Right, that causes more problems. Just like when whatever entity was trying to like be sweet and nice to me and I was not even paying attention. I was just like struggling that whole time. That resistance made my experience far worse. Yeah. And it's like, I think the right before you do the transition, you're kind of like, fuck, I don't want the transition. Yeah. You're still hanging on to what you knew, what was safe at the time. I'm super curious about this being, though, the more that I think about it. What do you think it was, if you had to guess? You know, I thought about it a lot. And I, especially because of the work that I've been doing now and hearing other people's stories and like overlap, I'm starting to think that aliens and the Fae are a little bit more linked than I thought they were. Mm -hmm. And I think that's it's all linked, you know, I, for the record, I think that's part of my podcast is that like, I really do think the Fae, the aliens, the, you know, the ghosts, all of it is part of the other to me. And they're, they're more connected than we know, but there's something about the Fae and the aliens that I feel like it's something in there. And I think at first I always thought it was an alien. And then I started to learn about some other fey entities. And then later on, I had another experience with another being. And that one to me seemed, I saw that one. And that one looked more fey to me than an alien. But, you know, we only have the limited like visuals to work Mm -hmm. with, right? Like fucking green, big eye alien fairies is basically right. like what we have so and tinkerbell yeah yeah exactly so i think we're we're wildly um misunderstanding that those realms it, it's so funny that you say that because um i was hanging out with dan yesterday like you do with your partner and talking about nonsense and i had mentioned to him ages ago that i read this book uh, the name of the book escapes me at the moment. Um, but he was talking about like, there's so much in the ocean that we don't know anything about. Mm-hmm. And I told him about this book that I read about killer mermaids in the Mariana Trench. <laughs> it's a great book. I can't lie. It is a fantastic book. Terrifying, but fantastic. Um, but like, there could be killer mermaids in the Mariana Trench. 100%. Because our understanding of the world around us is so limited. Exactly. There, I mean, even, even like if you're just talking about the amount of exploration that's been done in the ocean or in space, it's super limited. So all these things that we think of as being mythological or fake or whatever you want to call it could actually be real. We don't, really know Mm -hmm. this is a conversation that i have pretty frequently with various people because i think it's so fascinating like our visual perception 
also is so limited in that like we can't always see what we can't imagine to be real. Mm -hmm. So with that in mind, there could be a number of entities in our space all the fucking time, but we just cannot see them. And we cannot like interact with them because our minds can't grasp that. And this concept was taught to me through some quantum physics documentary. What was it called? Oh, what the bleep do we know? What the bleep oh. do we know? Did you ever see that? Mm-mm. Probably a little dated now, but um, it was so interesting. And one of the stories was that, and I don't know where this came from, like if it's written down somewhere, if it was an oral history or what, but there is this, a story that when Columbus's ships were coming up to the shores of wherever, wherever the indigenous peoples were at the time, I don't remember where he was being a jackass at at that point, but (laughs) the indigenous peoples didn't see the ships, but there was a shaman who was sort of like the wise being of the, of the tribe. And that shaman was able to sort of see the ripples in the water and he knew something was up. So he kept going out over and over and over again and asking like, what is it? What is it? And eventually he saw the ships and then he was like, okay, well, I need to prepare the people. So because he could see them and they trusted him, he started telling them, this is what it looks like. Hold my hand, look. And then they were able to finally see the ships, but they had never seen a ship before. So they had no frame of reference for it. So they couldn't actually see it until somebody who was able to pierce the veil was able to explain it to them. Then critical mass theory kicked in. Enough people saw it, then everybody could see it. And I think about that all the time. (laughs) Wow. You just blew my mind. It's a big one. (laughs) I need to go watch this because that is incredible. Just the idea that, well, okay, because I'm me and kind of insane, like the idea (laughs) that there are beings around me, like watching me shower really freaks me out. Okay. Sorry about that. (laughs) (laughs) When I was super, super little, I could not have been more than four or five. We were going to church and Sunday school. And of course, like if you go to Sunday school in America, they give you the whole spiel about God is always watching you. So you better be good. It's like Santa Claus, but scary. And there's no presents. So I can remember seeing this little thing almost like you would perceive like a troll from Norse mythology, Mm -hmm. but like little. And I do not know if it was a figment of my imagination or if it was actually there. But when I started hearing these Bible stories about God is always there, God is always watching. I started seeing this creature at the end of my bed that would watch me and my sister. We shared a room. We had separate little twin beds. And there was about 18 inches of walking space between the end of my bed and our closet. And I remember this little troll thing sitting outside the closet doors at the end of my bed. And I, to this day, do not know if it was just me being like a super creative child, because I was, Or if like this thing actually existed, like, was it my imaginary friend, my like mind perceiving the concept of God and trying to process it? I have no idea. But like, that is what I always imagine when 
I hear things like somebody is always watching you. I think of that little creature. Was he scary or was he just sort of chilling? Just sort of chilling. He, he was just, just there. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I have to say, I think he was probably there, but, and then there's the whole camp of people who would be like, well, does it matter if he was there or he wasn't there? That doesn't make him any less real to you, you know? So that's the thing. But then if you, if you start going down the path of what you're saying, you were freaked out about like that there might be beings like that all around, but you were just able to at that young age, because probably because you were so creative and you were so tuned in because kids are so spiritual. Yeah. You could pierce it for a second. Maybe I don't, I've thought about it a lot and my mom, cause I told her when I was a teenager that I had this little dude in my room <laughs> and my mom was like, well, you know, you had a hard time processing the idea of a divine being that was always like paying attention to what you were doing. It, it, you would come to me with these insane questions about like, does God watch me while I pee? So I guess I really struggled with that whole concept. And she was like, that was just your mind trying to understand the things that you were learning. I don't know. It could have been. I think it's so problematic that teaching the the, the Santa Claus thing and the and the God thing where it's just like, you better behave or you're because you're going to get punished. You know, that yeah. whole concept is so it's so Western and it's so destructive. Yeah, it really is. I've heard that things like this have happened to older people, too, like preteens or whatever. They have loads of hormones. Maybe they're they need to like masturbate you know Mm -hmm. and then what does that do that generates shame Shame. about the act of masturbating or whatever the thing is you know that's just like the height of the shame and religiosity right but it's just like if you're thinking that some man with a beard somewhere in the sky that is all divine is watching you every time you whack off (laughs) you're probably gonna feel fucking weird about it yeah for sure i love christmas I love the concept of Santa. I love what he represents, but I don't like the idea of weaponizing it. Agreed. And okay, granted, it's not Krampus. You're not like, (laughs) (laughs) not in America anyways. You know, if you want your kids to be good, maybe, I don't know, be more empathetic and don't just try to browbeat them into behaving because... They want presents. That's easy for me to say. I don't have kids. So. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yes. And I'll say that too. I also don't have kids. So, you know, I can't, I can't be the one, but I do think that it's better to do the positive reinforcement as much as you possibly can. Yeah. Because there's something about punishment and like the idea of original sin. And like, there's something intrinsically fucked up with you that is so problematic. And I think there's good and bad that comes from the internet. But one of the great things is that now globally people can find information again for better or worse they can find like oh i'm not fundamentally fucked up you know it's more accessible than it was when we were kids because it was just like if you were in a religious household you were fucked up and you had to repent for the fucked up idness and that was to varying degrees depending on your religion yeah yeah we were not um quite 
that religious, but my mom is very born again, accept Jesus into your heart kind of thing. And questions were very much discouraged. But I had the benefit of my stepdad, who's been my stepdad since I was like eight. His family is Jewish. So we got to spend time with people who were devoutly not Christian and see like their rituals and the things that they did and how they expressed their spirituality. So there was a balance. I loved going to temple with my grandma and her sister. I had no idea what they were talking about, but they answered my questions. And like, that was really important to me as a kid. Yeah. I think that's really overlooked. Yeah. I think people are asking more questions than they ever thought they were allowed to now. And I I hope that, I hope that increases. I do too, because kids especially need to know that there are some questions that just don't have answers and it's better for the adults and the religious leaders to be like, that's a great question. I have no idea. What do you think? Then just shutting down questions altogether. Yeah. Or making some shit up and saying that it's like the absolute truth. That's yeah. also very destructive and can be and can cause all kinds of problems. If we could just admit that we don't know sometimes, that would be a huge improvement for the human race. (laughs) (laughs) It would put all of our therapists out of a job. (laughs) Just admit that you don't know. And that's part of this podcast. We talk about stuff all the time. I am absolutely investigating. That's the archetype that I embody in this lifetime. I am an investigator, but there comes a point in the seeking path where you just discover that I'm going to get more questions than answers if I go down that rabbit hole. So you Mm -hmm. have to stop and say, okay, are you prepared for that? Because you might not get, not that you might, you certainly will not get what you want. You're going to get a big bag full of more questions and you're going to feel crazy maybe depending on how far (laughs) you go. (laughs) So it's your choice. Yeah. I sometimes struggle with that line Like, yes, let's jump right down this rabbit hole and not think about it. And okay, that was a bad idea. Yeah. And I think when I was younger, I didn't. Well, again, back to the like empath who is drinking and drugging. You know, I didn't know how to manage my energy. I didn't know Mm -hmm. how to like manage other people being attracted to the kind of energy I have, like narcissists or. Oh, God. Yeah, I knew you knew. So you end up sort of. I don't know if you can relate to this, but you start doing participating in risk and risky behavior, you know, and self-destructive. Yeah, yeah, you're sort of just exactly. And you and you do one of those risky behaviors for me was like diving down rabbit holes without the appropriate. Oh, my gosh, there's a list like protection, support, boundaries, like all, all kinds of things that you need to sometimes investigate certain areas of the woo or just in just in life too. But I guess I should say like in regular life too. (laughs) But yeah, the woo specifically, a byproduct of jumping down too quickly could be like straight up psychosis. I mean, it's persnickety. (laughs) (laughs) My grandmother who owned that farm taught me about a lot of other woo stuff like runes and Ouija and 
crystals and, and lots of stuff. But the thing that she always told me that became like the one life lesson that I held on to was don't fuck with shit you don't know anything about because bad things will happen. And like you, I had a wayward youth. (laughs) For me, it was drugs and sex. That was my thing. Lots of narcissists and literally trying to destroy myself. And I did also get into some ritual magic and things that I really did not understand that caused a lot of harm, I think. That was not like the energy that I wanted to be putting out. But, you know, I was 20 and Mm. I didn't listen to anybody. Of course not. Yeah. But I mean, I was just talking to my my guests. One of the things that stuck out to me that he said is a brilliant chat, but he said demons or malevolent entities are never there just because they're because some jackass invited them in. And you opened the door. Yeah. And it's probably because you, your grandma, right, said that you just didn't know what the fuck you were doing. Mm -hmm. If I believed in miracles, this would be a miracle Um, (laughs) that I didn't invite something in or have something attach itself to me or whatever. I think that being super into the woo from a very, very young age helped a little bit because I have a wealth of books about demons and negative energies and negative entities. And of course, you know, I read every book that Ed and Lorraine Warren ever wrote or participated in. So that helped, but I still can't hang on to a copy of the demonologist to save my life. And I don't know why they just disappear. Maybe there is something attached to me. I don't know. Hmm. Interesting. I move a lot. But I have certain books that are very important to me and very special to me. And The Demonologist, I had a first edition copy that my biological dad gave me that was like sentimental to me and it disappeared. All of the other special books that I put in one particular box were all there. That book disappeared. So I bought another copy and it disappeared. And I'm now on my third copy that stays in a locked box that so far has not disappeared. But I don't know. It's just this one freaking book. Do you have a theory about that? I don't want to have a theory about it. (laughs) (laughs) I like to write it off as coincidence because it's, that's more convenient, but I don't know. I own every book. Ed and Lorraine Warren ever wrote or were involved with, but this is the only one that keeps disappearing. Maybe we should blame Annabelle because Annabelle features heavily in that book. <laughs> Could be. You know, nothing's really intuitively coming to me about it, except that maybe there's some kind of energy in the book that you're specifically sensitive to. And so it just possibly piecing out. It's like, nah. <laughs> I mean, that is entirely possible. The The copy that I have now, I bought from Thrift Books, online, used book, whatever. It was like $4 and I got it and it's a little bit beat up, which is fine. It's a used book, but it's signed by Ed and Lorraine Warren. 
Really? And yeah. And it was not disclosed in the ad that this was a signed copy of this book. So I got it and I opened it up and I was like, oh, fuck, I spent $4 and got a signed copy of this book. That's pretty sweet. But it was totally random, totally unexpected. That is weird. It was super weird. And you keep it in a locked box for sure. Yeah. Well, I keep it in in like my treasure box that has mm-hmm. like my expensive jewelry and my nice sunglasses. Some other like keepsakes that you have or I mean, I think most people have the little things that you collect throughout your life that mean something to you that you don't want to go missing. Yeah. Or like burn in a fire or whatever. Right. Yeah. Right. Got it. You do let me know if that does go missing. <laughs> You know, because if it can move beyond the lockbox, I would be very curious. So do you think Teresa's signed copy of The Demonologist will eventually go missing? Mm-hmm. And do you think that place I remembered when I was a kid with the sun and moon toy box was something like a karmic waiting room? There's lots to think about here. And like I said before, there's plenty more where this came from. There's more woo on the horizon. You should check out Teresa's podcast, Shit That Scares Me, and keep your eyes peeled for further deep dives into my personal brand of weirdness. That'll be fun for us. Also, y'all have asked me many times to do an episode with my mom, so I am working on it, I swear. As always, links to Teresa's podcast and follow the Woo Patreon will, of course, be in the show notes for this episode. I hope you can find a way to do at least one thing this week that's just for you. You are allowed to follow your curiosity, even though it might feel weird to do that within the framework of our productivity-obsessed culture. And remember, just a hair to the left of where you are in this moment, even if it's the most boring, mundane, office space kind of moment, magic things are happening. And the more you believe that, the more you will catch it out of the corner of your eye. And the more you catch it, the more it becomes part of your everyday life. And for those of you who are already witching it up, so mote it be. Okay? All right. Bye. Thank you for following The Woo with me today. If you love what you heard, please make sure to subscribe to Follow The Woo wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're feeling particularly stoked about this show, please leave a review and or rating. You can also support this podcast by becoming a member of The Order of Woo, where you'll get community access and loads of extra goodies exclusively on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash follow the woo. The Order of Woo patrons bolster this podcast and community and allow for the creation of more content, products, services, and events over time. Every little bit helps, and I'm so grateful for the patrons who have joined the order already. If you've experienced something magical, mystical, or just downright weird and want to discuss it, or if you're interested in sharing your expertise, or if you want me to research a woo topic with you or for you, please email me at followthewoo at gmail.com. Join me next week for another woo topic. And remember, tell the truth, be nice to each other, and if it feels right, 